The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio, and we're glad to have you listening in today. And uh, it's time now for one of my favorite shows because... I get to talk to our historian who is uh, absolutely incredible and uh, we will be talking to him. We got Philip Forsberg on on the other line and uh, he is the man that can and he is also uh, Lieutenant Colonel retired Philip Forsberg and Philip has I, I, <laughs> I jokingly Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio and we're glad to have you listening in to us today and um, as always we've got it's time for remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm and we've got Philip Forsberg on the line and uh, as we always do uh, with our military type shows We always start the show off by stopping and saying just a a moment of prayer for our veterans, our active duty folks that are on right now, and also our first responders that uh, are all around the the country taking care of us. So we're going to take a moment out and we'll be right back with you. And we thank you for taking that moment out. And uh, we're glad to have everyone listening this afternoon. And we uh, also do one other thing when uh, 
we start a veteran or a military type show, and that is get that blood flowing. We asked and him if he was Ken. We all know how to do that. Uh, we've done it many times before, and we're here to do it again. So let's get that heart oh, pumping. Okay, well, we've got the blood flowing and the heart pumping, and all of us remember those days that uh, our drill sergeant or whoever it happened to be, our platoon leader, started out and Georgia. This is Mark the Shark from Biden. Oh the my goodness! Hey, we just don't want to Mark the Shark. You know, vote Herschel Walker. Ah, uh, we've already blown that, so let's get away from that. Okay, well, we'll have to talk to Mark the Shark on uh, what he's talking about these days. Anyway, we're glad to have everyone listening in and uh, hope you're enjoying the week and having a good week. And uh, we look forward to uh, having some other great shows on. So let's go to Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. Philip, how are you doing today? I'm well, David. How about good. you? Well, if I could punch the right button, I'd be in good shape. But it seems like uh, my fat fingers keep missing the the right button and pushing the wrong one. But we'll make it anyway. And I want to thank you for your service and for being on as our host of Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. I was having a long conversation with uh, a veteran this past weekend about the fact that, uh, you know, people don't remember. And it's it's brutally shameful that they don't remember. And uh, I explained to them why we do the show, and that's exactly what the name is, Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And for the folks that... Uh, you know, I, I really honestly can't address some of it and that uh, I can understand some folks that don't remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm, but I can't really buy into all the ones that don't. And uh, I think if you if you took a good look at our veterans, they basically do remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm, whereas our the folks that never served have already forgotten it. Uh, I'm always amazed to the the folks that don't remember 9/11, and I just that just absolutely boggles my mind. So. With that being said, let's remember Desert Chill and Desert Storm and as we talk to uh, Philip Forsberg this morning. Philip, what what was your thoughts? Well, um, you know, I, I do appreciate when people uh, remember uh, what we did. Uh, I'm 
I'm always very glad that <clears throat> the way things turned out the way they did in Desert Storm. Um, specifically that I didn't lose any of my troops and uh, we got to go home uh, pretty soon after we got there. It didn't seem soon, but it was... Uh, <clears throat> we, we didn't know how long we were going to be there, but we... Uh, when they told us we could go home once the mission's done, uh, we just all we wanted to do was get that done and get out of there. And your first day in Saudi Arabia, you get an overwhelming feeling of, when can I leave here? <laughs> Where, where's the exit? Exactly. But there are, you know, there's a significant number of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, combat veterans, that weren't even born during, you know, at the time of Desert Storm. So I can give them a little, a little uh, grace there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. You really have to, and uh, I just wonder if his if history books are even addressing it at all. You know, the most significant thing about it is uh, it was the ultimate test of American and NATO equipment and tactics against uh, Soviet uh, equipment and tactics. And um, the the jury's in. Um, The Americans won. Oh, no doubt. And uh, very quickly, what, 100 hours? Hundred hours of ground combat. We had a few weeks of uh, ringing their bell with our air assets. But there, you know, I think we uh, made a very good point at that point. I'm uh, I'm somewhat hesitant to uh, go forth and and say what we would do today or. If we would even do anything today, and that's that's a scary thing as well. But uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm, no doubt, proved our superiority in in every way: uh, the ground and and the air and our intel. Um, you can't hardly fight a battle without the intel, right? Well, you know, of course, that was my uh, my angle on it was uh, intelligence collection with my aircraft. Um, so uh, I'll say good things for uh, for our intel. Uh, as far as uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> battlefield summaries and such. Uh, I remember uh, one of his criticisms. The Norman Schwarzkopf criticized. Uh, our, our intelligence uh, simply because um, you know much like the folks in Washington they're trained to never be wrong so if you don't want to ever be wrong don't let them pin you down to um, an, an absolute statement so you know he, his question was well you know is the enemy going to attack is the enemy going to delay is the enemy going to defend is the enemy going to withdraw um, you know, what, what course of action is the enemy going to do? He said that 
the, the intelligence briefings he got could could have supported any outcome. Uh, now, uh, I was uh, I was not a somebody who polished the intel for the general's use. I was somebody out there collecting it, collecting information to be turned into intel. But uh, what we what we collected uh, turned into basically target location, target uh, targeting data. So, and I think we were pretty effective at that. Oh, uh, no doubt. And uh, I think the, uh, you know, what's the old saying? The proof, proof is in the pudding. And uh, I, I think, uh, like I said, we made a very good point in only a few hours. And uh, our tanks were superior to anything that uh, Saddam Hussein could throw at us. And uh, his... Uh, touted army was nothing uh all tout no no not much of anything else um yeah. but what do they say in texas uh there's david uh, uh all hat and no cowboy or no all hat and no horse or... yeah <laughs> something like that exactly <laughs> and uh you know i <laughs> I personally was very proud of our troops and, uh, and thought that, uh, you know, what a statement this is making. And, uh, and it did. And I, you know, I couldn't believe that we didn't get more recruits in after that. But, uh, we did all right for a while, but uh, we're still needing our new blood to come in. And, uh, you know, I, I take my hat off to the uh, organization called Community Salutes that uh, had their, on December the 10th, had their big meeting and honoring and saluting the young folks that uh, have signed up already that are graduating from high school. And uh, it's, uh, I, I bow to those kids and salute them at the same time and that, uh, it's a hard decision, particularly when you're in high school and you've got years and years ahead of you. And uh, there was a time that, uh, well, there still is a time, and uh, the, the military is a good option, and it's a good option for many, many people, be they high school graduates or college graduates. Uh, people need to take a look at it. It's not like it was, but it'll come back. And I think, uh, I, I think with the signing bonuses and some of the, uh, things that they're doing to recruit, we'll get our military back up and above. And as soon as we get someone in office that understands the military, we'll be that much better off. And, uh, it'll happen. It's, it's somewhat cyclical and, uh, I think it'll it'll turn around and and be okay and I'm glad to see that we've got I don't know the exact number but I know we've got more veterans in Congress now than we've had in a long long time and uh that's going to help us too and we are always 
always saluting and appreciating our veterans, those that have served, and we never, ever want to forget the families of the folks that are serving on active duty now or have served and the veterans uh, that served and were deployed and left behind a family to go fight for our country or be a support for our country. And, uh, you know, in the position that you were in, Phil, I don't want to use the word bluff. That's that's not the word I'm looking for by any means. But like with Desert Storm and Desert Shield, showing our power and, you know, like we are, like we were before today and what we've got in office today, but just being out there with strength had to be and always is a good deterrent, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're, uh, of course, Saddam had painted himself into a box, but, uh, honestly, uh, I never felt more secure and more, uh, resourced and supported, uh, by my nation while in uniform than I did in Desert Storm just to see leaving Fort Hood, Texas, the rail cars filled with uh, M1 tanks and uh, M2 and M3 Bradley fighting vehicles and uh, uh, Hellfire missiles and howitzer ammunition and uh, multiple launch rocket ammunition, uh, all that stuff going to, you know, <clears throat> I just kept thinking somebody's going to get hurt with all this stuff. Uh and I'm uh, pretty sure it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> but isn't that a good feeling? Yeah. I mean, it's always good, you know, to make, not to gloat too early, but it's kind of like having them Georgia Bulldogs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I guess the, the other thing, and we've brought this up and talked about it to some extent, is that... What the military does instill, and uh, I, I can't address it from flying from that standpoint, but from the uh, ground, you always feel like, and and well, no, I'll back up because you, you've mentioned that uh, even with flying some of your missions, you had uh, fighter support on your wings or either in the lead or following and uh so i guess it's the same same thing as a ground pounder that you know he's got he's got your six and somebody has his six and uh everybody whether they're in the air or on the ground or are miles and miles away firing howitzers they have your yeah, back no, the guy who saved my bacon was a uh, a British tornado pilot, and uh, I know that because he was close enough for me to look him in the eye <laughs> and say howdy. Yeah, yeah, and say thank you because I didn't have anything to fight back against that Iraqi fighter when he he basically drove him off with the combat air patrol. 
So, um, yeah, if I ever run into a former or current British tornado pilot, I'm going to have to cut loose with some adult beverages for him. <laughs> you know, I wonder what the odds would be of ever finding him. Hmm. Well, you know, back before Al Gore's amazing internet, it was probably pretty slim. But uh, I think, uh, you know, there's all sorts of ways now. You don't remember the uh, his insignia or anything like that or his uh, number, do you? It was British. It was British and it was a tornado. It was part of the combat air patrol. I might be able to dig up in a logbook and find out, you know, the approximate date that that happened. Uh, it was certainly prior to the commencement of the of the air war. Because as you know, that uh, for the air war, they uh, they did a one way trip to uh, Tehran to park them <laughs> and and gave them quite a uh, a uh, fireworks show, huh? Yeah, and uh, that's, you know, so that's what the Iraqi Air Force thought of our Air Force and our, uh, all our services there after. They just said, check please, and left. So, uh, you know, that's something, I don't know, uh, if anybody teaches anything about Desert Storm these days, uh, it was mystifying to us, but uh, you know, they were welcome to run away if they wanted to. Why would you run to Iran? I don't know. Um, yeah, one of your arch enemies? <laughs> I think they'd been fighting them for about 12 years at that point. Hmm. But, um, yeah. So, but I, I don't, that's not something that comes to mind. You know, people, I don't know. Your son's in the Air Force. Do they ever talk about that? Uh, yes, sir. My, my son is in the Air Force. Uh, my son doesn't talk about anything. <laughs> if you uh, talk about history with you sometime. Uh, he, he doesn't really, not much, not if it, uh, in any way, uh, shape, form, or fashion could influence anything. And, uh, to, uh, he, he really, Dad, don't ask me that. Or, Dad, uh, you know, he he doesn't like yeah. talking. Uh, uh, yeah, not from the standpoint that he thinks he will slip, but just from the standpoint that uh, you know we don't have the military relationship that I wish we had, but. Uh, you know, he still thinks I was a joke, and uh, that's his privilege. So, uh, you know, uh, no, he doesn't talk about it. And, and he certainly won't talk about today at all. I was, I ran into a gentleman in my parking lot this morning that's a, a doctor, a psychiatrist, as a matter of fact. And uh, we were talking... I've never met him before this morning, and we just struck up a conversation because we're ne- next-door neighbors. But uh, we were talking about how things 
how so much has changed. And um, his practice of medicine, he's a child psychiatrist, adolescent psychiatrist, and that's all all he deals with. And uh, we are going to have him on one of our shows very shortly. Uh, but we talk about this on our a veteran's place, and this is with uh, Dr. Don uh, Muller and talking about PTSD and how, you know, it really affects the whole family. And the whole family can have PTSD from one member being deployed or a cop leaving in the morning and not coming back or, you know, it's it just... It's just amazing, and uh, we talk about it, and you know we're we're seeing more and more. I, w- I was talking with a veteran the other day about uh, his return from the Middle East, and uh, you know you get the idea that you've seen it all until you see something else, and. Uh, each occurrence, uh, you know, for so many years, uh, you know, PTSD wasn't necessarily called a disease or called a war injury or whatever you whatever you want to call it now, but uh, it is, and it has been recognized, and uh, the old idea of telling. The trooper will man up and get over it is not what they're saying today, and I'm very thankful of that, that they're, they have realized how affected people can be by what they see, whether it's military or first responders, whatever it happens to be. But if, if you feel like you have PTSD or you know someone you think might have it, listen to our show on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m., a veteran's place. And it is absolutely fantastic and addresses PTD, PTSD issues like no other show I've ever heard of or listened to. And uh, Dr. Muller does one heck of a job. Not quite the historian that you are, Philip, but <laughs> he does have history in his front yard in his backyard, and he's also got his own tank and his own APC and his own Jeep, and <laughs> he's he collects military equipment like that. So not many people I have. The, Go ahead. Not many people have their own tank in their backyard. No, not many. I uh, I remember. Um, and when I was in flight school down at Fort Rucker, Alabama, we took an aircraft and came up and landed at Troy, Alabama one day. And there's a um, there was a hangar there that had all sorts of warplanes, um, and they were all personally owned. Hmm. They, he had a, a a Corsair and he had a Mustang and uh, he had a, a C forty seven, you know, DC three and. Uh, Oh, any number of things. Maybe a Sky Raider. And, um, 
Those are all per, the part of the personal collection of a guy by the name of Wiley Sanders. And you'll see his name on trucks going by. And uh, I understand he built his fortune, uh, started with, in the lead reclamation business, reclaiming lead from old car batteries. Hmm. Built it into an empire. So next time you see a, a Wiley Sanders truck go by, uh, just remember that guy was a big collector of uh, military aircraft. I don't even know if he's still around. I wonder if he uh, was part of the Southern Air Force. Um. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I know he kind of had his own air force. I think. <laughs> yeah, but he could only fly one at a time. As I remember, yeah. that's all I could ever fly is one at a time. Sure. You know, he. Uh, yeah. Well, they were. They originally called themselves Confederate Air Force, or maybe it was uh, Confederate instead of Southern Confederate Air Force. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you know they got a little. Uh, sense in them to realize that well, some people aren't too uh, you know, hip on the Confederacy and all. They they just kind of wanted to uh, point out the fact that they were in the South. It wasn't really anything political. So <clears throat> they changed the name to the Commemorative Air Force. Uh, I guess they didn't have to change all their letterhead or something. But um, I was at a uh, an air show in Houston, Texas. I would guess about 1987. And uh, the Wings Over Houston Air Show, I, I brought in an aircraft for the Army. And uh, the uh, <clears throat> the then Confederate Air Force and the Tuskegee Airmen uh, veterans were there. And they kind of got together and buried the hatchet. And, uh, it was real nice. It was real good. You know, I guess... Uh one of the neatest shows or one that I loved. Well, one, I love the car tear. I, I just think that was one of the neatest things that sure. was ever it's flown. It's a sexy airplane. Pardon me? You know, it's a sexy airplane. Oh, yeah. I, you know, it, it's got that gull wing. They had to put the gull wing on it so that they'd have clearance for the prop. Hmm. So the prop wouldn't hit the ground. It had you very powerful engine, very large propeller on it, and, uh, yeah, amazing airplane. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I think it was last week when we were having our show, I told you that I had just received notification that um, my uh, rifle had come in that I had ordered, the same rifle that my grandfather had carried in uh, the First World War, and I went and picked it up over at Governor's Gun Club here in Kennesaw and uh, enjoyed it and uh, had some questions about what I was looking at and you know thanks to these YouTube videos uh, I was able to go on there and find out all about exactly what I was holding um, and you know just to be able to uncover details about it uh, without um, without even having to leave my home you know, years ago, you'd have to go find a specialty library or something and go research these things. But now it's all a touch of a touch of your fingers, and uh, it's just wonderful. Uh, yeah, this is this is the same rifle he would have carried, uh, and it's in pretty good shape. I'm having it 
cleaned and function checked over there before I fire it so it doesn't blow up in my face like Yosemite Sam or something. <laughs> um, and, you know, over at uh, Cabela's there, they don't really carry British Enfield 303 ammunition, so I might have to order some of that on the Internet. Well, if you ever need uh, some help or information uh, that you just can't find what you're looking for, we've got our... Roger B. that does our locked and loaded show, and then another broker that uh, is a very, very close friend, James Dunce, that lives down in uh, Orlando, and uh, he buys and sells weapons and has for years and years and years and has all sorts of ammunition and uh, and and information, I should add, mainly, is that... Uh, yeah, he would he would love if you have a question that you just can't find the answer to. Either one of those gentlemen would be more than happy to. Uh, and and they are they are like you are with history in other areas. They are gun historians, particularly uh, James Dunst. He uh, he comes up with things that you know I, I just. Like like with you, I feel like I should keep my pen and paper ready at any moment. You're gonna you're gonna say something that I never knew that I wished I'd known a hundred years ago, and uh, so I'm glad you've got it, and I'm glad you're uh, you're pleased with it. That's terrific. Yeah, oh, it's beautiful. I'll let you know uh, how it shoots when I get a chance. And I bet your grandfather's looking down and proud of you too. I think he's got better things to do. <laughs> no, no, he's got to take care of his grandson, as do all parents and grandfathers, no matter where they happen to be. But uh, you're listening to America's Web Radio, and it, we're going to take a quick break here, if you don't mind, Phil, and uh, uh, get a little information uh, going, and we'll be back right after this. On August 8th, 2022, in violation of the Fourth Amendment, the FBI performed a most egregious search of a former president's home. The Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution provides that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched, and the persons or things to be seized. The Fourth Amendment originally enforced the notion that each man's home is his castle, secure from unreasonable searches and seizures of property by the government. We must take a stand, and take back our country. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes, by voting locally for conservative Republicans. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. And we have some of the greatest shows on America's Web Radio that... uh we hear comments, our classic car show, uh, those two guys, Tom Cox and 
Richard Lintonello just do a fabulous job, and we're always hearing comments about them. Obviously, Phil does a wonderful job on remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and, you know, ask you to listen to this and also our show called A Veteran's Place, and that's talking about PTSD and we do have help for those victims that are suffering from PTSD. And it doesn't matter, you know, what you are, who you are, when you served, first responder, whatever. Just listen to the show. And if you've got a question, uh, Dr. Don would be more than happy to answer it and talk to you. And uh, long distance, try to get you some help. So... We've got great shows. The Doctor's Lounge uh, is just getting more and more comments almost weekly from uh, not only doctors but other folks that listen to it and have questions and ask. And if you have a question for Phil about Desert Shield or Desert Storm, don't hesitate to email gm at americaswebradio.com, and uh, we'll see that... Uh, your question is talked about or answered or whatever you need on the next show. And we love hearing from our supporters. And I want to thank, by the way, all of our patrons that support us. Uh, we have advertisers, but we also have supporters from coming in from listeners that want to be a part of the station and they are as they become patrons and uh, we send out newsletters and uh, if you become a patron we have a little gift for you that uh, everybody should carry with them all the time and it's not a 45 1911 but anyway uh, that might not be a bad idea either. So let's get back to talking about Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And um, we we talked about it, I remember, last year, Phil, a little bit about it. Okay, you're, you're over there about this time of year and the preparation for Christmas coming up. Was there any? Oh... <laughs> uh. What I remember about this time of year, uh, in 1990, December of 1990, was, uh, it was kind of overcast and rainy a lot of the time. Um, it was cold enough to wear our jackets. Um, and you were walking around in this, uh, wet box, wet cat box gravel all the time. The, uh, there was probably a surge of care packages coming in with toothpaste and toothbrushes and razors and soap and deodorant and uh, cheeses and candies and uh, beef jerky and Slim Jims and uh, the whole, I mean, and then, of course, the homemade uh, baked goods would come. There were so many that we had in our little our, our battalion headquarters was sort of a, a concrete shell of a building. It didn't have any doors or windows in it, but it was poured concrete. And, uh, no, it didn't have anything but a concrete floor. <clears throat> the, um, we, we had a, we had our own company orderly room in there. And, and there was a, 
like a table as you exited the, the orderly room to go outside. Uh, this table where folks just put the stuff they couldn't eat or consume that they had received in uh, care packages, and uh, they just put it on that table. Every time you went by that table, you just grabbed something that looked good. You know, maybe it's a can of mixed nuts or some brownies or cookies or um, any anything. And uh, so there was tons of that stuff. Um, and uh, what else? Um, you know, when you ask about preparation for Christmas, um, you know, Christmas was sort of like uh, the U.S. Army to uh, Saddam Hussein. Whatever, you didn't have to prepare because it was coming. <laughs> and there's nothing you could do about it. <laughs> so uh, we weren't really too distracted by, you know, preparing for Christmas. We did have some some religious services, which were always very comforting. I remember the uh, the surgeon and, and uh, a couple others and myself uh, got together to pray quite often uh, for the safety of our troops and our effectiveness in battle. Uh, but um, on Christmas Day, I was, we had a bad, bad sandstorm, and uh, I was uh, my driver and I were out headed out into the desert to go find my uh, my liaisons that I, my troops that I had uh, embedded with the uh, 101st and the uh, 24th Infantry Division and 18th Airborne Corps. Uh, tactical operations center so we could go and bring the mail and uh, uh, you know just check on their overall health and safety find out what they might need and uh, so that was a bad day it was a bad bad uh, I think they call it a Scirocco you know the um, sandstorm in the desert um, and I don't know if it's uh Swirling or just a big wind or whatever. There's no trees, of course, to break the wind. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, so you, you know, you just had this uh, wind when it when it wanted to it would just gust down the desert, pick up all sorts of dust. And if you happen to be uh, going upwind and you smiled, you get a mouthful of gravel. Hmm. Gee, you can do that in West Texas. I've done it in Fargo, North Dakota. <laughs> First time I went to Fargo, I was just, I landed and did a walk around on the airplane, got back in. It was February. It was about a half mile visibility. It was snowing sideways. The sky was clear. Visibility was a half mile because the wind was blowing. That was in February. And then the following May, I went back there to Fargo. And this time I had an overnight, and it must have been 92 degrees or more, and the wind also was just blowing to beat the band. Hmm. So, Fargo, I have fond memories of Fargo. It sounds like it. <laughs> like, thank you, but no thank you? <laughs> yeah, I had been there, done that, got the t-shirt, I'm out of here. <laughs> Oh, well, I tell you, it's, um, as we've talked before, any of the holidays, your helmets, your hats, your whatever, your, your, uh, cover 
had to be tipped to those that were in the, the mess hall. And they they worked their tails off trying to bring just a little bit of home to a very foreign place. And uh, they cooked special things and, uh, you know, they they did their part of fighting the war and winning the war. And uh, you don't fight on an empty stomach, as was said. And... Uh, yeah, our, our cooks were fantastic, and uh, I will say they'd have fed us uh, the best they could at any time, but um, the way we were set up there, they, they didn't get a lot of opportunity. They mostly fed us breakfast, the hot breakfast, which is definitely appreciated, but they also, um, they did, uh, both on Thanksgiving and Christmas, did put on an excellent feed, and they'd have done that every day, except they weren't resourced that way. And it was time-consuming. And uh, there's there's nothing like eating mashed potatoes on a metal tray in a thunderstorm outside, and you're you're trying to eat the mashed potatoes before they swim off your tray. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But sometimes you know your your dinner table is the you know front fender of a two and a half ton truck. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's part of what you sign up for. And I bet some of those sandstorms uh, slowed your air movement up every now and then, didn't it? Uh, well, <clears throat> I, I don't remember flying during any of them, but uh, we, when we would, uh, you know, we would pretty much get out of all the garbage down below. Uh, it was most of that all took place down below 4,000 feet. So we were out of there quick. As long as the wind was going down the runway, then that was good enough for us. <laughs> and we had to have visibility really to take off. What uh, what did that do to your equipment as far as uh, the accuracy goes and being able to use it even? The effect of the sand? Yeah. On on your well, any of your picture taking or any of your collection of information. Yeah, um, you know, it might have, uh, if there had been sand, you know, in big clouds or dust in big clouds, it might have obscured some of the photo um, uh, resolution. But <clears throat> to be honest, the only photo mission we flew over there was uh, we went flew over the hospital and took photographs of our field hospital there at King Fod Airport. And our battalion commander made it a gift to the hospital commander. Um, so that that was the kind of mission we called happy snaps. Uh, <laughs> most of our uh, missions were all uh, either the side-looking airborne radar, which doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't use visibility. It uses radar to you know find the moving targets. And then um, and then the other was the, our aircraft that was equipped to. Uh, to be painted by enemy radars and uh, then just catalog their locations and types uh, in a database. Which there wasn't much use for that uh, function after the air war started because <laughs> on day one they went out and blew up every radar because somebody had located every radar on the battlefield during the uh, months leading up 
And uh, so that first day, all all their radars got shut down. So you can have your great Soviet air defense uh, missiles, but you know, once we blind you, good luck. Yeah. And there there was a lot of that uh, spreading of and hitting nothing. Uh, when you look at the tracers and all this that were. Uh, <laughs> You know, just they were just shooting. Yeah, I suppose there were a couple uh, of our flyers shot down, um, but uh, not many. Those uh, the golden baby, as they say, dumb luck to get shot down by Iraqi air defense that time. <laughs> dumb luck, huh? Yeah. They, they were probably shooting at the sound as much as anything else, and here it is, and there it went. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think uh, they had much luck with that, and the, uh, and of course, you know, we were uh, testing out our new stealth uh, fighters, and bombers at the time, so um, that was another uh, difficulty for them. I know that you keep up with a lot of this. Are there any other, you know, and I say any other, meaning Russia and China, how far have they developed the stealth? Uh, you know, the, cat, the cat's kind of out of the bag on that. I'm sure they're working on it. Uh, the, uh, the, you know, the, the Chinese, I think, uh, well, they're real good at stealing things and copying them. And, uh, so, you know, they probably got some level of that. You know, your son probably would know, but I, he won't tell you. <laughs> no. No. Uh, what, the, what is it? You can't get blood out of a turnip? And, uh, no, he would not, uh, you know, his his famous comment would be, "Well, Dad, if I knew, I'd tell you, but I don't know for sure." And um, <laughs> that sort of ends most conversations. He gets me off his back with, "I'd tell you if I knew, but I don't know." And uh, who knows what he knows? But you know, and this is this is why, and I respect him for that, quite frankly. And this is why we have. A winning military. Uh, for the most part, you you have men and women that know when to talk and know when not to talk, and uh, they've gone through a lot of training. And you know, if it's classified, it's classified, and they know who they can speak with, and they know who they keep their mouth shut to, and uh, it just. I, I just, you know, with you, Phil, and and some of the other veterans that uh, we talk with, I, I just marvel at our military. And, yeah, we've had some bad leadership every now and then, or, or you know, we didn't do what I thought or what some folks thought we should do. 
But we survive because of the people, and we survive because we're the greatest country in the world. That's all my opinion and my two cents worth for the day. But well, I believe I it. agree, and uh, we're going to need some. Uh, we're going to need some patriots in there uh, because I figure, uh, starting in January and leading up for a couple of years, we're going to be busy uh, uh, routing out all the fellow travelers uh, that have found their way to the top of uh, our uh, chain of command and. Uh, don't want to get too political, but you know, I've heard it said that, uh, uh, first they said, well, Bill Clinton was our first black president. And then, then they said, oh, no, no, Barack Obama was our first black president. But I guess that, uh, Joe Biden's our first, uh, Chinese owned president. And, uh, they've got a very solid mortgage, mortgage, I believe. Yeah, I don't think they have a mortgage. I think he's all paid up. <laughs> Already taken care of, huh? Yep. I don't, uh, I wouldn't and couldn't give you any argument on that at all. And this is, uh, this goes back to my feeling of, and why I'm so glad that uh, we have, I guess it's more than we've had in years of veterans in our Congress. And, you know, starting with George Washington, I don't, I don't think we should have ever had a president that didn't serve. And I don't mean like Biden served time in jail, but served in the military some shape, form, or fashion. And I understand one of our greatest, Abraham Lincoln, didn't serve in the military. But. That's not true. Oh, okay, That's correct true, me. David. I didn't know he that. Was a captain in the, he was a captain in the Illinois militia. Oh, well, thank you. I See, I learn something every day, every time we do this show. I can't, and I'll how long was he in? I don't know uh, exactly how long, but he, he was a captain in, in the Illinois militia, and uh, they might have had some skirmishes with uh, Indians or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he did serve. Uh, and there's, uh, if you go, uh, you could look, find a list. There's, there's, you know, and almost all of them had a, that were veterans had served in the Army. The first one who was not uh, a veteran of the Army was John Kennedy. He was Navy, mm-hmm. and then there was uh, Lyndon Johnson, also Navy, then Richard Nixon, also Navy, then Gerald Ford, also Navy, then uh, Jimmy Carter, also Navy. I think we learned our lesson, though. <laughs> Stick with the Army? Did you happen to watch the Army-Navy game on Saturday? No, I did not. Fantastic game. Uh, yeah, a real nail biter. Two overtimes. Hmm. But Army did win. Well, good. Good. I used to uh, root for the Navy because my dad was in the Navy, and whenever Dad and I'd watch the Army Navy game, well, we were rooting for the Navy. And uh, 
then I went Army and he stayed Navy. But, uh, you know. No, I, uh, my dad was Navy also in World War II. Well, it's, uh, it, it just, you know, like I saw some of the snippets after the game and, and even before the game of that, you know, they'll bust their chops on the field and you'd think they were enemies to the core, but it's not. They're United States military and I guarantee you, and I, I say this without knowing, but there was not one player on that field that wouldn't die for, if he was Navy, he'd give his life for the guy across from him that was Army and vice versa. And, you know, that it doesn't matter what branch you're in, really. It matters that you're in the U.S. military. And that they prove over and over and over again. And their love for the country and our love for them never stops and we we should never forget things like desert shield and desert storm and i'm glad you told me about i didn't i all these years i didn't know that about lincoln i just you know and and it must be passed over in history a lot well, we just brought it out. Well, that's why we have our resonant historian. And uh, with that, sir, we've got to put a plug in the jug and get out of here. And, uh, All right, David. Thank, thank you very you, much. Sir. Merry Talk Christmas, to... y'all. Yes, sir. Absolutely. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.